Well, hello, all you beautiful homesteaders, land lovers, and farm life dreamers. Today, we take a deep dive into another farmer's world. I'm interviewing Sandy Dossie Brewer, who started her homestead journey from scratch at age 64. This lady gives a step-by-step account of how she took a vision and made it reality by logically breaking things down into digestible pieces, researching, scaling growth over multiple years, and has achieved tremendous progress on her nine-acre farmstead in Illinois, Sweet Tea Yankee Farm. I'm Judith Farrell Horvath, shepherdess and owner at Fairhill Farm in Central Ohio. I started with illegal backyard chickens while at my white-collar job. After getting busted, our family made the leap to farm life. A decade in to farming now, the world is a different place, and yes, it is worth it. Here we talk about the experience of the startup and the steep learning curve that goes with adopting a farm-fresh lifestyle. My mission is to help you sidestep avoidable errors and unnecessary costs or losses and help you accelerate adopting a farmstead life. I bring you stories of others who made the same leap, hear of their successes and fails, and their lives today. And now, enjoy the interview. Hello, Sandy. Nice to meet you and welcome. Thank you. So can you go ahead and uh, give the audience an idea about your farm name? It's a very interesting farm name, Sweet Tea <laughs> Yankee Farm. Could you, could you talk a little bit about um, your farm and where you are and who you are and why we're here? Well, the reason I named my farm that is because my mom and dad were from the South. And so I grew up on you know, Southern food, Southern charm, Southern gospel music. And um, they moved North and I was raised in Northern Illinois, but I have all those Southern traits. So we love our sweet tea in our family, but I'm actually a Northerner. So I named it Sweet Tea Yankee Farm. That's so cute. That is really cute. So I reached out to you because uh, I became aware that you had started farming at a point in your life, which most people do not just pick up farming. You want, you want to talk about that a little bit? Sure. Um, I had just retired and my husband still had two years to work. And I was already worried about what we would do in retirement because mm-hmm. I'm no, I had a, I had my own business for a while. I worked for uh, Eastman Kodak as a sales rep for many years. And so I was, you know, used to being busy. My husband's had some problem with his legs and I was just worried that we were going to, you know, retire and sit in our recliners and watch TV all day. And that, that really bothered me. Yeah. And we had years ago thrown around the idea of getting some property and getting a couple mini bikes for our grandkids and some animals. And of course, all the years kept piling up and all of a sudden I'm 64 years old. And so one day my daughter was walking past this property on the bike path because actually the property is right close to town. And she saw nine acres two outbuildings and a house. 
And she, she called me and she, she told me about it. And I said, Abby, you know, we just decided to stay in our house. We just remodeled our kitchen. We just put hardwood floors in and we had decided we we're going to stay here. And she said, well, you know, you talked about that. So I hung up the phone and I thought, well, maybe I'll just go drive by. It was four miles from our house. So I drove by, the people weren't home. I drove in the back and it was incredible. I mean, they had about three acres of Queen Anne's lace on one side and he had mowed kind of around the field. And I'm like, holy mackerel, this is pretty cool. The house was well kept, not a weed anywhere, not a, anything sitting anywhere. And so I called the people, made an appointment to come and see it. My husband was traveling. I walked in the house, the house was tiny, but then we walked in the back and I'm like, oh my gosh, all of a sudden, I could see a big garden. I've never planted anything. I, I haven't even ever planted a seed of any kind. I thought, oh my gosh, Ken, my husband, he loves animals. We could get some animals. And so I could have a farmer's market. I mean, all this stuff is going on in my mind. So my husband came home and I told him about it. And he was surprisingly willing to go look at the property so we went and looked at it at this huge pole barn and so anyway to make a long story short two weeks later we bought that property wow. <laughs> and we didn't even have our house ready to sell we hadn't think about selling now we had these two mortgages and we're just like oh my gosh a mortgage at 64 years old what in the world? But anyway, we sold our house in nine days. Oh, we, we moved, we moved <laughs> down here. We had the kitchen wall torn down and I just started planning. And so that was four years ago. I'm 67 now, almost 68. <laughs> so here we are. Wow. <laughs> so like, what? This is this is sort of one of those sort of lightning strike moments where you're like, I see a garden. I've never planted yeah. anything before. Talk, can you talk a little bit about like what made that pop into your mind? Like, well, I had wanted to do it. You know how I thought when I retire, I have time. I have time to learn some new things. I have time to try some new things. We're not real big travelers. I'm kind of a homebody. And I kind of had in my mind, even at my other house, I was going to try some things. But here or at my other house, I had um, over 200 trees in my backyard. So there was really no place. That's why I'd never planted anything. No place to, that the sun could get to. Mm. And this had this huge field. I mean, it was a feral field. It had, you know, Queen Anne's lace up over my head. It had um, weed trees and wild blueberry or raspberry bushes and grape vines all everywhere. I mean, it was a big fat mess, but I thought, well, we have time, you know, I'll just read about how to do it and I'm going to try it. Wow. So where, so how do you go about tackling something like that? Well, I went online and I looked at how to start 
a garden from scratch. And, you know, they had some basic ideas. They had either you could plow it all up, you could burn it all down with chemicals, Mm -hmm. or they had this kind of a new thing I hadn't heard about that was like a no-till gardening, more of a natural way to garden, good for the soil. Um, so I started reading about that. And, um, you know, what they did was they just took some cardboard, they cut, the, cut it real short, got the big stuff out of there, which he had to go over the field with like a bush hog. And then with the lawn tractor, then with the lawn mower, because it was just crazy. And he cut it as short as he could. And then I laid down some cardboard. And in the meantime, I had put a sign out front that said, wood chips wanted with our phone number, something very simple. Okay. And we had a guy call us from a small, you know, uh, tree trimming service. Mm -hmm. And he said he'd bring us some chips out. So he brought two big truckloads of chips. So at first I just started small. I just wanted a couple raised beds. And so I put the cardboard down. We built some simple raised beds with uh, just kind of those six inch pickets from, you can buy like one picket for a few dollars yeah. that you would make a privacy fence out of. We bought a few of those and I, we just nailed them together. I mean, nothing fancy. So they were three feet wide by six feet long. And I did three of them in a row. So I had 18 feet. And then we took those bark chips and we just put it all over the rest of that cardboard and in the bottom of the beds. Mm -hmm. And then I had read that you just get sticks and leaves and, you know, whatever. I filled that all up and... Um, then I got some compost I had to buy it, of course, because we had nothing to compost. And that's what started my, that was my first little garden. And I did pumpkins and um, sunflowers and some tomato plants. I mean, I went and bought tomato plants and put them in the ground and they actually grew and I got tomatoes. My very first year, it was just so fun. That's so cool. And you, excuse me, and you had never grown tomatoes before. You had never no, had done any of any kind, no house plants. I, I bought them, yeah, of course, you know, at a farmer's market or something like that. Yeah. And years ago, my grandma had, I remember canned some tomatoes, mm -hmm. but I'd never done that, which actually I did teach myself. And I did because last year I put in 40 tomato plants. Oh my goodness. <laughs> Scaling up fast. Yeah. <laughs> wow, that's fantastic. So you you started with these three little raised beds. I shouldn't mm -hmm. say it was little. That that's a that's that's a very ambitious start for most. Well, see, us. I don't do anything small. I you know if I'm going to do it, I because I could see it already. I went out before I even put those in, and I could already see. I took a graph paper and mm -hmm. I thought, okay. I want a little orchard, I want a raspberry patch, I want a pumpkin patch, and I want a raised bed garden, and I want a garden shed. And so I measured out an area that was 100 feet by 130 feet. That, that's the size of my little area that I wanted. So um, I have all those things now, but you know, I started just with those three, three little beds that first year. 
Wow. So you have, have you grown, like have you added more beds? Oh yeah. I have, um, four sets of those, um, you know, and then I put in some of those cattle panels with the big arches and I grew my beans and stuff on those last year. And then I put in corn this year for the first time. And then I put a raspberry patch in pumpkin patch. And actually our pumpkin patch did so well that we put a little roadside stand a couple years ago. We sold them all in one weekend. And so then the next year I planted more and last year we did real good. We made about a thousand dollars in pumpkins last year, which is, was a nice little side hustle for, you know, those are kind of low maintenance. I mean, you have, you have some, some pest pressure and you have weeds of course, but you don't really have to water them that much. And I don't know, they're fun to grow. Wow. That's fantastic. I mean, there's, there's some um, studies that have been out. They say the pumpkins are one of the most lucrative by acre uh, crops to grow just because people want those decorations in the fall and they just, they want to, they want those spots, but you have to be in a spot where you have um, foot traffic or people coming by and wanting to buy. And it sounds right. like what you, well, you said, you're right near town. So this right. like your ideal location for a nice little backyard market garden. Yeah. And we just put it right. You know, we're right up. We're actually on a bike path. We're on a, a mildly busy road. Mm-hmm. And um, so we just put it out in the front yard and I grew gourds and we, we sold tomatoes too. And yeah, we did. It's been crazy. I mean, now we have animals, we have goats, and we have 40 chickens and we have a horse. And I mean, each year we added something big. Um, we went out one time to this, we saw on Facebook marketplace is where it was. It was a building and we went out to see it and it was an old, um, maybe like from the 1930s, tall, skinny building with the door in the front, windows on the sides, tall, like 14 feet tall. And they were selling that, they were gonna burn it down. And so we bought that for 150 bucks or 175 bucks had it moved for a hundred dollars. Now that's my garden shed now. And when we were there, we saw this other little barn that was maybe about 10 by 12. It didn't have a roof. The roof was gone. Didn't have a floor, but the sides were good. All the wood was good. We also bought that from them for 150, had that moved here for a hundred. And now that's our goat barn. So the things you can buy and thrift to start a little homestead. I mean, it's just amazing what people sell. We did have to roof those, but we had um, a neighbor come and he was out of work. We paid him a little money. We bought that galvanized tin, you know, nothing fancy. And that worked out really good. Our little goats are just cozy as can be. That's really cool. So you started with the garden. Did you just do the garden the first year? Or did you add animals? I did, the first year? We did the garden the first year. Okay. And then so we moved there in the fall. So that first spring, we did the garden. Okay. And then we kind of just got to know the lay of the land. That next summer, we bought the buildings. Mm-hmm. We got two barn cats and four goats that summer. Mm-hmm. 
actually we started with chickens. We started with chickens right away that first year. We got 12 chickens and learned about them. Cause you know, that's kind of, we'd never had any kind of livestock before we'd had dogs. And mm -hmm. so we read a lot about that and studied before we got them. We didn't just go out and buy this stuff. I mean, um, in the winter time, we, we went on YouTube, we, you know, we read people's blogs, we followed these vlogs um, and, and tried to learn before. And so then we got the chickens, then we got the goats next year, and then we got the cats. And the horse is actually my granddaughter's horse, who she used to board it somewhere else, but she keeps it here now. So the horse wasn't completely new to the family. He just got to join the family on the property. Right. But <laughs> we have never had anything like that. And they come and take care of him. I mean, that's, he's, good. that's a lot of work. Yeah, that can be a daily. That can be a daily. Mm -hmm. But you're saving them a lot of money because board's expensive. It was $350 a month. See, look at that. That's win-win. And you get compost now from the horse. Yes. And so we compost everything. Mm -hmm. Now I have a big compost area. That's another whole thing that, um, you know, you, you knew the word, but I certainly never done any kind of composting, even with my, you know, scraps from the kitchen or anything. I'd never done anything like that. So that has been wonderful. It takes a while. I mean, it's taken, well, this is the third year. And just this year, I think we're going to get a really nice, you know, amount of compost to put, to put in my garden. We're starting a new pumpkin patch this year. Just pumpkins, we're going to do 100 by 100 feet out in a different field. I did find out after I put my garden there, it is kind of shady. It's shade until noon. So I'm going to move my like my tomatoes and beans and stuff out to where my other pumpkin patch was. So we have a big hard year this year. I mean, you know, I, I talk about this, like it was nothing. It was a lot of hard work and we're not young, yeah. but we just take our time. We do something every day. Um, we try to learn something every day. My husband's legs are not good, but he gets out there and he takes care of the goats. I take care of the chickens twice a day. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's, it's doable. I mean, mm -hmm. if I think that if we really wanted to, we could probably grow the food that we eat, you know, the vegetables, because I taught myself how to can. I did that on YouTube. I froze all my green beans last year. We bought an extra freezer for that. And so we've really made a huge, a huge life change pretty late in life. And it's been the best decision ever. That's really, this is really interesting to me. I, I, I love hearing stories like this because I, I hear from other people all the time. They say things like, oh, it's just so much work. It's so much time. I don't have time or I don't even know how to start or I'm going to explode my kitchen or it's easier to go to the grocery store. I mean, insert, insert dodge of the day. And I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to sound disparaging to people, but I think they're, I don't, I don't think that they're trying to duck out. I think they're intimidated. And then when you hear a story like yours, it just breaks it down into 
it's a big task, but what do they say? How do you eat an elephant one bite at a time? That's exactly right. Yeah. Yeah. So you didn't grow up on a farm, right? No, no. Right. We lived in a subdivision mm-hmm. for 40 years before, we, you know, a regular subdivision, just like in a little ranch style house. And we both had full-time jobs and, you know, we had three kids that we raised and, um, we just had a regular life. We, we did have a big yard, but it was, like I said before, it was all trees. You really couldn't plant anything. And we didn't, we didn't really at that time want to do that. But that's something that was almost like a dream, like uh, when I retire type of thing, or when I, you know, I never dreamed it would actually ever happen. But those little things that are inside you sometimes, um, you should listen to. Because uh, being out in my garden now is, I put flowers and vegetables in my garden and I grew potatoes last year for the first time. And I mean, getting those potatoes out of the ground was joyful. It was, uh, my grandkids loved it. I loved it. And when I ate them, when I ate that first potato that I had grown, I thought, wait a minute. Now, why does this taste like this compared to 50 years of buying potatoes at the grocery store? And I'm like, okay, I'm going to go online and figure this out because I could not hardly believe it. Well, what I learned was they grow potatoes, say like in Idaho, they have one, you know, big crop a year. And so they have to store those all year long so that the grocery stores have access to them all year long. So by the time you are harvesting potatoes, those potatoes you're buying at the grocery store are a year old. Do you see what I'm saying? A full year because, they've been in storage for a year? Yes, because oh. the ones that are grown, they grow oh. in the summer, but they have to keep those all year long so that, the you know, they can't keep like succession growing like we would do because mm-hmm. it takes a long time to grow those. And so anyway, I'm like, no wonder my potatoes taste so good because they're fresh, Goodness. you know, right? It. It, it just blew my mind. I never thought about potatoes being stored for a year. And there are new potatoes that, you know, that are more tender, but I'm talking about the regular, you know, potatoes that you buy in a five pound or 10 pound thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you guys should dry it to grow some potatoes. It's super easy. They grow, what I, what I did was I took one of my raised beds. I put, um, I had I had it kind of filled with, you know, different things, but not real good because there's still some big stuff in the bottom of my raised beds that have, hasn't broken down yet, like some sticks and some wood chips and things. So I put a layer of peat moss on there and I just took my potato. I bought seed potatoes at the store because I wasn't brave enough yet to, you know, take my potatoes and let them get an eye at home, which I am going to try to do this year, but Mm-hmm. Um, I bought some seed potatoes, I put them in, and then I put another layer of peat moss on top. Okay, so it said when you grew them that as they grow, as the green comes up, 
you cannot let those potatoes get any sun on them that you have to kind of cover that green up and let it grow back up through there. So yeah. a couple more times during the summer, I just kind of sprinkled some more peat moss. So they grew in peat moss, which really has no nutrition. They, they didn't have like roots, you know, that go down. The potatoes are the roots and yeah. they're very shallow. It was, it was crazy. Have you ever grown potatoes? I have, I have, but I didn't. Isn't it use- amazing? Yeah, I used um, what was called um, uh, a straw bale method. Oh, and you did? Yeah. So my first, yeah. So my first year, my, it, was my, it was my second year of big garden in suburbia. I put down, um, you know, we had the earth, just, just like plowed earth, you know, we had removed, the, we had peeled back the sod and then we had yeah. put in some soil amendments and we added some charcoal just to get a little carbon going. Um and then put the potatoes right on the ground, kind of ruffled up the ground a little bit. Oh, potatoes right in it. Mm-hmm. I put the, set the potatoes right on the earth. And then on top of that, I got a bunch of straw bales and um, I soaked them in water, like really like ran the hose on them. And they were really, they were sopping wet, you know, like a yeah. each, right. And so then I pulled the, the flakes off and then split each flake open. So it's like a book. And then just laid it on top of the, mm. on top of the potatoes in the ground. And sure enough, within a couple of weeks, blip, 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 little, little um, greens and, and the leaves were popping up through. And then, you know, they flower and then they die back. And then I peeled back the, the straw and all the potatoes are just laying there on the ground. So I was like, oh my God, I'm such a genius. This is the easiest thing ever. This is, this is amazing. And the next year, like, voles discovered us and I got like three potatoes. I was like, oh, I'm an idiot. This is terrible. (laughs) (laughs) And so um, after that, uh, we did move. I didn't do potatoes again after that. And then when we moved here to the farm, I did potatoes in traditional hills. Like I did. Oh, in a hill. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Furrows. And then as they grew, I took more out and like heaped it up on top, Mm -hmm. very similar to what you're describing, but it was Mm -hmm. actual soil. But having composted livestock manure and bedding. I had a really nice, rich mix. Yes. So I had a combination. I I went to the store, like you said, and I got this bag of new potatoes. Mm -hmm. Um, They were um, like South American blues and then a little teeny bag of South American blues and a little tiny bag of new red potatoes and a little teeny bag of Yukon gold. So I had red, white, and blue potatoes. Okay. I put them, I put them in and I did like, you know, two furrows of reds, two furrows of whites, a Yukon golds, two furrows of, of these um, South American blues and just seeing them grow next to each other and seeing the productivity differences and the differences in the bloom, the difference in the growth habit. It was fascinating. I got almost full germination. On those now, did potatoes. you let those get eyes at, in the kitchen or did you just put them in? Um, I bought them because they were on sale for a dollar each because they had already started to sprout at Meyer. Oh, so they had, I got lucky. In fact, I wasn't planning on doing it at all, but I was there at Meyer one day and I saw them. I'm like three bucks. I'm going to spend three bucks on seed potatoes. And look, they're colors. They're cute. They're already threw them in the ground. It was super easy. A total luck. I haven't seen that deal since, but anyway, (laughs) keep rice peel. (laughs) <laughs> but the new potatoes are nice because you don't have to chop them up and go through all that right stuff, all that that nonsense yeah get the little new potatoes yeah oh yeah. I love that and idea. if any don't sprout just eat them 
It's amazing. You just, you know, you just eat them. (laughs) Yeah. That's fascinating. That's, that's fascinating. What you said about the, um, the peat moss though. I I wonder, I have to look. Yeah. They were so clean, you know, they were so clean and they were so, um, I don't know. I mean, peat moss is kind of expensive, but that's what I had on hand at the time. And it was light, you know, that really super light so they could grow really nicely. Mm -hmm. And I grew them in one three by six area Mm -hmm. and I got 18 pounds of potatoes. So pounds of potatoes out of a three by six area. Yes. That's not too bad. I That's what I thought. First year. Heck. Yeah. Yep. Wow. I'm going to try them again this year. I'm going to do two beds. Okay. And then, you know, I, I read how you kind of harden them off, you know, how to build some skin and whatever, which I did, but they didn't last very long because 18 pounds. I mean, you know, if I make a couple dinners for my grand, my kids and my grandkids, it didn't last very long. So I want to do some more this year. Yeah. 18 pounds of potatoes does go surprisingly quick. So I bring it in does. a special <laughs> basket of potatoes. I'm like, yeah, I got potatoes, got them all cleaned up. And it's like three weeks later, got no potatoes. Yeah. Yes. Potatoes for years. And that's one of those things. I almost feel like I think it'd be cheaper and easier to get them at the grocery store, but then there was no potatoes in the grocery store this year. I'm like, okay, we're growing potatoes. That's right. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Cause I know how now a couple different ways. Oh, that's so funny. So what, so you see, so you've done a lot of research on, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I'm jumping all over the place. That's okay. exciting. I love to hear in your story, just you're walking through this discovery and it just, it just, it tickles my heart. So I, um, so I hear you talking about <clears throat> doing this research. You're 64 years old, 67 now. Mm-hmm. So, well, I didn't grow up with the internet. I'm 51. I didn't grow up with the internet. So you didn't either. So no. here you are not growing up on a farm, not growing up gardening even. And now you are a couple decades later, you're growing your own farm at, you're using the internet to do this research. You're experiencing success. I mean, Mm -hmm. good on you. Yeah, it, 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 um, I can't say it seems like, doesn't seem real because you know, the work is real. I mean, we have the biggest problem that we have is water. Uh, we have eight 100 foot hoses to get to my garden from my water source. Oh, no. Yes. So you can imagine the water pressure is pretty good, luckily. But uh, so what we have to do is we hook it up at the house. We run those hoses all along the side, behind the barn, behind the chicken coop, you know, all the way out there. And then I have one of those kind of temporary little nozzles that you can turn it on and off right there. So I can turn it on and off. But then it, I mean, that, that is a real problem. This year, I'm putting a rain barrel on my garden shed. And because, you know, it works so much better. I mean, well, we have well water, but it's still just not good compared to rainwater, of course. So the difference. Hoping, I swear they know the difference. It, yeah, it, it is, it's not any, I mean, there's no comparison because yeah. when it rains, well, you know, yeah. but when it rains on my garden, I swear I go out there and my stuff 
grows be almost before my eyes. Yeah. And otherwise with that hose, it's like, oh my gosh. And then I tried to run some, not drip lines, but I just bought the old fashioned soaker hoses, you know, the black tubes that you kind of all hooked together. Those were a nightmare. I mean, I'm this year, I still don't have time to worry or to focus on doing any kind of drip area or learning how to do that because I told you we're moving our pumpkins to a different field and moving my garden. So that's going to be a huge job. But on my bucket list is to figure out some kind of a system, a drip irrigation system for my tomatoes. You know, that's mm -hmm. the only thing that you really need to keep, well, you know, mm -hmm. pretty consistent for them to do well. Mm -hmm. And so that is on kind of my long-term plan. I mean, long-term plan, I'm 68 years old, but you know, when we, the second winter we were here, the second winter, yes, the second winter we were here, um, we'd been here one year. I wanted to plant some apple trees and all my friends, I mean, my brother, my brother lives in Chicago. He, he thought we had lost our minds when we bought a farm to retire with no experience. I mean, he's just like, oh, what is happening? But anyway, I told my friends I was going to get a little apple orchard and they're like, do you know how long apples take? You know, you're 64 years old. They take like three to five years. I said, well, three to five years, you're still before 70. That's not that bad. So I bought, um, I read about that too, because, you know, you have to have a pollinator. So mm -hmm. I bought a Granny Smith and then I bought two um, Honeycrisp trees, which I don't know how they'll do. But then I bought these little, they're called Pixie Crunch, which is kind of a, a new, newer apple. Supposed to be easy pink. to grow for just those a, little pink ones, right? Yeah, pink apples. Yeah. So I got those. So I planted five wow. tree, five apple trees. And how I did that was I bought the dwarfs. So they only get like seven feet by seven feet. So you know, seven feet tall by seven feet. So you're you're able to harvest those. You're able to take care of the tree. You know, I don't have to get on a ladder or anything like that. And so what? I, how I planned that out was. I went out to the area that I had designated for the orchard and I just kind of sat in the middle and drew a, a seven foot diameter circle on the grass, you know, around so that they would have room to grow plus me to get a lawn tractor in between them. Cause you know, you got to think about that down the line. You don't want them to shade each other. Um, you want to be able to maintain the ground and stuff around them. So now uh, that was, let's see, that was 2000, the winter of 2019. And we got our first five apples last year. So <laughs> I feel like next year they should all be producing. We got apples off of mo most of the trees, but you know, you're not supposed to really pick them that first year. So. Yeah. But we did. We picked them and we ate them. <laughs> you have to. Come on. Yeah. There's only four. Take them. Right. <laughs> you didn't hurt right. your trees by letting them produce four apples. Good for right. you. Wow. Wow. This is so neat. So <laughs> tomatoes. 
Talk to me about your first experience with the tomatoes. Okay. Um, I have had really, really good luck with tomatoes. I planted them in the raised beds the first year, but the second year I told, I had told you how I laid the cardboard down and then I put the wood chips on top. So what I did was, um, I had, uh, a piece of fencing that I put between two uh, T-posts. So, you know what I mean, like in between to tie them up with. And I dug down, I, I pushed the bark chips away. I dug through the cardboard because it still wasn't all the way decomposed. And then I dug a huge hole because I'd read that, you know, you're supposed to put your tomatoes super deep. And so we used a um, hole digger, you know, one of those post hole diggers. So it wasn't too big around, but it was deep, like a foot deep. And then I bought my little seedlings. They were $2 a piece. And then I stripped all the um, leaves off them, except for a few on the top. And I put that all the way down in the ground. And then I filled that hole with good compost. And then I just put the bark chips back around it. And I think that second, the first year I grew three, the second year I grew, I think I grew 20 the second year. Yeah, I grew 20 the second year because I was pretty encouraged from that first year. And I, I bought enough to, that's the winter I, I went on YouTube and learned how to can. And my, ki- my kids bought me one of those. <laughs> yeah, those new electric canners, you know, that like you put on the counter, you don't have to put oh, on the yeah. stove and you plug it in. Like, a, so, like an Instapot or like a Nesco carry or something like that. Yeah. And yeah. It's, it was by ball and it's okay. just an electric canner. And so um, I couldn't wait to use that thing. They bought me that for my birthday. And so anyway, I grew Roma tomatoes, which are for more like paste and spaghetti sauce, I guess. I don't know. I hadn't done it yet, but then I grew celebrities, um, mm-hmm. were my, I canned those too, but they were good for slicing and they're more, you know, determinate mm-hmm. more than indeterminate. What I learned about, there's two kinds of tomatoes. There's tomatoes that the, the bush kind of stays the same size. And then there's tomatoes that grow way up on a big vine. And uh, they're called determinate is the ones that kind of stay. And the Roma tomatoes that I bought were determinate. So those were, you could just kind of put a, a tomato cage around and they're easy to take care of. But the, uh, and the celebrities also were, they were, they were determinate, but a, a little bit in between both of those, but they didn't get the big vine. But then like your big boys, your early girls, you know, all those regular tomatoes that you're used to hearing about, mm-hmm. most of those are indeterminate, meaning they are, they just are one vine that just keeps growing. And so I let, I tied that up on that fence and let those grow up there. And, oh, they loved it. And I got a lot. I, I think I can, uh, 20 quarts plus I sold tomatoes on my farm stand and it takes a lot it takes about eight big tomatoes to to make a quart it takes a yeah. lot yeah after you so, squeeze the seeds and everything right mm-hmm. wow so are you doing any of your own seed saving at this point uh I did 
I've saved like for the for the heirlooms. I mean, obviously, early girl. Those are yes, early girl, um, best boy, or whatever. But celebrity is an heirloom. So is celebrity. Rosa. Well, celebrity is a newer tomato. That's um, it's more of a hybrid tomato. Is it? So, I got a new. I got some seeds this year called uh, Celebrity Plus, and they're supposed to be. I don't know. A little. A little better so we'll try it but no this is the first time I'm starting tomatoes from a seeds and I didn't keep any of my tomato seeds mm -hmm. um to start I bought them this year but I did buy my first setup down in my basement I got some lights and I bought a, a metal shelf mm -hmm. and I'm starting tomatoes down there for the first time this year and peppers I saved my red pepper seeds is what I saved then I saved some tomato seeds and I saved my Blue Lake pole beans because mm. I I grew those on a arched cattle, cattle panel. Mm -hmm. You know, cattle panels are like 16 feet long and they're, I think like, you know, a little over four feet high. So you can put in just a couple T-post and wire them and then you can bend that, it's real flexible, over to two more T-posts and then you, it's, it's tall enough to walk under. Yeah. So that's what I did. I put it between two raised beds and grew them that way. Oh, I see. So you had that arch and you had the additional height from being in raised beds. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. It was really nice to harvest mm -hmm. because you could just stand under there because, you know, pole beans, they're, you got to pick them off one, one at a time. Yes, you do. And they're, they're, they're pretty high maintenance, but who doesn't like green beans? Nobody. I like that idea. I haven't, I haven't grown my green beans on an arch. I have these two antique. They look like old clotheslines. It's like a metal pole with like a bicycle wheel. Look oh, at it. sure, sure. Wheel. And then you know, the strings come down. So it's sort of like this. Uh. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but, um, and I have for, for the people listening, my blah noise, that's a, that was a gesture where I kind of like put my hands like up like a teepee and then like splaying out to the side. They look like weed monsters within a, within a month, but yeah, they grew really well, but I just stuck them right into my raised beds. But um, yeah, I like the idea of the arch a lot. That would be, it was, it, and it was beautiful. I mean, it oh, absolutely was gorgeous and I planted on both sides. Mm -hmm. So then, then it grew up to the middle, you know, yeah. and um, I'm going to do that again this year. I had a lot of success. And then all I did was they were stringless, you know, blue licks are stringless. Yeah. So all I had to do is just break off the one end, the stem end. I didn't break that little tip off. I don't care about that. Yeah. And then I just um, blanched them, you know, put, got some boiling water going, uh, put the green beans in there for just a couple minutes. They turned bright green bean, bright, you know, green. Mm -hmm. And then I put them in an ice bath to keep them from cooking more. Yeah. And then I just laid them out on some clean towels until they were dry. Then I put them on cookie sheets and I put them in the freezer all individual like that. So hmm. they didn't all freeze together in one big gob. Yeah. And then I just took a spatula and put them in my freezer bags and did them a pound at a time or whatever I did. Oh, so you froze them all. Oh. I froze them all. All my green beans I didn't can because I don't have a pressure canner. Um, 
this is just a water bath canner that my kids bought me. Oh, the bottom a water bath. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And so beans, I mean, really should do yeah. those under pressure. Yeah, you should. Um, I learned that you don't have to add liquid in order to can them either. You can can them without liquid. I you learned can? that last year. Yes. There's I'm going to get a pressure canner. I'm going to teach myself how to do that too, because um, mm -hmm. there's other things that I wanted, you know, be able to can. And I had a lot of success with canning and I like to do it. Um, I had a bunch of girlfriends over one time and we had a garden party. Uh, so I set up tables out in the garden. We had like a big potluck breakfast. And mm -hmm. then they all came in and I taught them all how to can. That's and they amazing. all got to take a jar home and they loved that so much. And, you know, it's not that hard. It's more intimidating than it is actually hard. I think it's the fear of the unknown again. Yes. And that old myth of you're going to blow things up and things. I mean, I had that fear because that's what my mother told me, but I mean, I don't know. So I have, I have, I have a couple different pressure canners that I tried out because I wasn't sure. And I found mm -hmm. that after I had, well, certain Instapots also can double as pressure canners. I have 20 yeah. versions. So obviously do your research, anyone listening, right. but Instapot and then uh, Nesco carry is another one. And then I got a big mama um, pressure. These are all pressure canners, uh, pressure canner this year. I haven't used it yet, but I found last year that if I stayed on top of my harvest, I could bring the things in, clean them up, do whatever it is that I'm going to do. And then I could plop them into the jars, hit start, go to bed. And then the next morning, unload them and go out and then just kind of keep up with the production during, you know, those times of year when it's just, you know, it's, it's crazy yes. when, you're, when your counters just become consumed with yes. you know, two bushels of tomatoes within three days after a rain, you know, and you're like, Oh dear, Oh dear. I guess I right. stop my life and take care of these tomatoes. Yeah. So right. can we switch over to, um, livestock? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So, chickens. We got chickens first. And sure. I also read about those because, you know, um, I didn't know, of course, mm -hmm. how would I know that there were different breeds of chickens lay different color eggs. Yes. So and, and so I thought, oh my gosh, that is so fun. I mean, as long as I'm learning from, you know, zero to 100, I might as well you know, learn all about this. And really we have a hobby farm. Um, we don't have really a sustainable farm where we're depending on this food for, you know, living or our family. But um, I did throw around the idea of maybe trying to sell some, some eggs. And mm -hmm. so I picked out my breeds according to the color of the egg, the um, dependability of the egg production, because, you know, they can produce eggs anywhere from 200 eggs to, uh, well, Leghorns and Rhode Island Reds sometimes can have 320, uh, maybe sometimes even more eggs. I'm sure you know that. Mm -hmm. And so depending on if you're selling them or they're just for your family or whatever. So I kind of, I bought some Osterlorps and some um, Orpingtons. Mm -hmm. And some Easter eggers because I wanted some blue eggs. And so I got 12 that first year. So we, we, and another thing I did learn is the old saying, birds of a feather flock together came from chickens because they do like to kind of stay with, have a buddy of their breed. 
So we found that we bought at least three of each kind and they kind of have go together like little siblings almost, even though they're not siblings. Mm -hmm. And so we bought four different kinds the first year and we, you know, of course they get, you have to feed them for four or six months before they lay eggs. We knew that, but I didn't know that before. And I didn't know that you could have eggs without a rooster. I thought you had to have a rooster. Of course, we learned that they're, they're just like, just like human mommies. They have their eggs in them, you know, before they're born and they're, when they're born, they have them already and they can just lay them daily or every other day. Um, so anyway, we starting like then in the fall, we started getting just about an egg a day from these new little pullets. Mm -hmm. And then we just put a little sign outside that said, uh, call for egg availability. And I mean, we cannot keep up now, of course, but oh my goodness. You know, now it's just absolutely crazy. <laughs> but even even then, in a neighborhood, you know, we thought, well, who's gonna buy that in this in town? You know, well, I'm telling you what, because you know, even if you have, you know, this Judith, that even if you have a lot of chickens, they don't all lay every day. And in the winter, they take a rest. So our customers now wait for us to call them. So. The system that we have is if we have eggs available, we have like five good customers. Uh, they want two dozen a piece. And so we'll text them eggs available on whatever day, Thursday, Saturday, whatever day it is mm -hmm. that we'll have them. And then we have a cooler and we put the eggs in the cooler. We have a little uh, basket that you put your money in that we keep change in. And then we put that on our front porch. So then they can drive up they can open it up, they put their money in the basket, they take their eggs, and that's it. So they don't have to wait for us. We don't have to wait for them. We give them a general window of, you know, when they're going to be out there, they're good for several hours. We put ice and stuff in there mm -hmm. in the summertime. But that's been a nice little side hustle because feed price, well, you know, mm. was $9.99 for 50 pounds just Last year on sale, you could get it. Now it's $16. That's what I'm paying, 15 to 16 for 50 yep. pound bag now. Yeah. And you know, when you have 30, 40 chickens, you're going through that feed like it's, so it's really people think that uh, eggs are expensive, but they're expensive for us too. So at least selling those eggs pays, uh, pays for our feed costs. So then we get our eggs for free. You know, that's how I think about it. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, that's a healthy way to think about it. And you're also taking pressure off of the food supply chain and you're feeding your neighbors and they that's know where their food comes from. And it is from birds that are cared for and they're not living a life of, you know, factory farming. Yeah. That's something that's important to some people don't care and that's fine. I mean, but yeah. I mean, if that's important to them, they're able to feel good about the eggs that they're purchasing. That's right. And we can, yeah. we tell them, you know, they're organic non-GMO feed, we feed them. And then we do, um, we have a big run that we, well, what we had was the people that lived here before us had just a regular shed, you know, like the eight by 10 shed mm -hmm. out there. And we converted that into a chicken coop. 
And so we read about, you know, where to put the nesting boxes, how to have the roost up higher than the nesting box and, you know, all these things. And then alongside that, we built a 25 by 12 foot run or is it 50 foot? I don't know, anyhow. And then we just put aviator netting on top of it mm -hmm. because we do have some hawks mm -hmm. and that's where they went. Okay, well then after doing that for a few years, we got more chickens. The first chickens were getting old, mm -hmm. you know? And so we thought, well, we decided we were gonna free range because we thought, well, if they, if a fox or a coyote or something gets one of them, you know, their egg production is down anyway, then we don't have to feel like we have to process them. And they're not good by that time anyway, you know, they're three, four years old. And so we've lost a few, but not too many. So now we do free range, all of them. Hmm. Bet your Americanas do well. At least mine do. My Americanas, my Easter eggers seem to do really well free ranged. But yes. Yeah, some, some breeds do better than others free ranged, I think. Some of them kind of stay around, you know, they're a little more scared, but we do have a nice um, perimeter of weed trees mm -hmm. that they can go under if a hawk or whatever mm -hmm. comes. And so there's a lot of places for them to go to get into safety. Yeah. I have a theory I'm working on that the word hawk came from a chicken. Hawk. <laughs> <laughs> Those hawks, we, they're, they're, they're crazy. They are. But, so you also have goats. What do you do? With yes, goats? we have Nigerian dwarfs. That was another big learning curve. I mean, yeah. that because we're just like, okay, so. Four-leggeds, they're a different game completely. They're a whole different yeah. thing. And we, we got that little barn and then on the inside of it, uh, we put, uh, wood lined it all with wood it has a dirt floor which is perfect we've had that nice work put on there and then we cut another door in the back so it has a door in the front door in the back and two windows okay. and um then we built like some bunk beds for them to kind of climb on and what what we bought was from we bought from a good breeder we bought good goats the first time because we didn't know anything about them we didn't want to go to some auction and buy some that we thought were maybe sick or, I mean, there's so many ways goats can die. So you know? Thank you for doing that. I, I hate <laughs> to interject in your story, but I want to yes. say, God bless you. And thank you for doing that because. Yes. So well, you got to start out with oh, good, yes. good breed because yes. otherwise you just don't know what you're getting. So we went to a regular girl that showed her goats and they were expensive. They were like, um, the girls we bought we bought two girls and two weathers okay so um they were brother and sister pairs mm -hmm. and it was like a thousand dollars for all those goats sure and 250 so, a pop is well yeah. 150 to two like, weathers is reasonable like, and then two to three to even 400 sometimes for a doe which is the female, right obviously is also fair so a package deal four goats yeah yeah, bread, clean and clean and tested, healthy herd with, with right pedigree for a thousand dollars. You did very well. Might have yeah. hurt, but you did well, I assure you. Yeah, so we were happy about that, and we wanted to get the boys because 
we kind of felt bad for them that they, you know, nobody wants the boys. And we thought, well, we have four grandkids. So we got two boys for our two boys. Mm-hmm. And then we got two girls for our two girls. That's how we decided we bought Nigerian dwarfs mm-hmm. um, because they're good. They're good dairy. Um, they're small because, you know, we're older. We can't have a lot of real big animals that we have to take care of. And so anyway, that's what we did. And then we built a little paddock for them um, around there, not little, like a hundred foot. And we just used cattle panels and T-posts for that. Mm-hmm. And then the year after we bought them, we bought some of that Premier One solar net fencing oh yeah Mm -hmm. and then you can do rotational grazing with that you can set them out because we do have what they like what goats like which we didn't know I mean how would you know but they're not grazers like sheep or, or horses they like like the thick woody they like um you know wild wild raspberry bushes and grapevines and scrub trees and just the junk you don't want. I mean, that's what they like, which is mm-hmm. awesome. Yeah. So uh, we put the we put them out there, and we we taught them how to <laughs> follow us out there because you know it's like you've got to go from the paddock out to the pasture, and you know we can't walk that fast, and we certainly can't herd them up. So that was. That was a nightmare for a while, trying to teach them how to go from one place to another and then to go to bed at night. But sounds like a comedy routine. I can see it. It was. I have several goats, so I I feel for you. (laughs) So do you milk them? We have not bred them or milked them, but that is, we just called the girl that we bought them from and asked her if she thought they were too old because they're they're going to be they're two and a half right now she she thought they were fine Mm -hmm. and so you know it takes five months we didn't want to really do it in the winter time Mm -hmm. we didn't want to really keep a buck so we're thinking about either taking them somewhere to a clean herd or you know, doing something, I don't know, but that is a huge decision because, well, as you know, but we didn't know, and most people don't know that um, once they have a baby and they, I mean, the only way that you can get milk is just like how they have to have a baby. Mm-hmm. And so if you want to milk a goat and make cheese or soap, which I want to learn how to do all that stuff, you have to have a baby. Then what are you going to do with that baby? Are you going to keep that? Are you going to sell that? What are you going to do? And then you have to learn how to milk. You have to learn how to do those things. And you have to milk them twice a day, every day mm-hmm. for a season. You know, you don't have to do it all year if you don't want, but um, it's a big commitment. So it is, but we're getting closer to that. commitment. Yeah. Yeah. It definitely is. And, and timing it for either mm-hmm. spring or fall winter babies with goats do not do well. They need heat because right. they, they get too cold. They're not like sheep. Right. And in the summertime, you have to worry about other parasites and things like that. So it's, it's a tricky thing. Um, yeah. I Did guess, you well, Illinois, your... what, what growing zone are you in Illinois? We're in 5B. 5B. Okay. I'm in six. So we're not that different. Mm-hmm. Right. 
Okay. So um, for us, I do uh, spring, like I have, I have goats, but I have, I have larger goats. So they're bred right now. And they're pregnant. Some of them, half of them are bred, half of them are being milked or growing. It's, it's, I don't ever have them all bred at the same time because you just get overrun with goats and that's its own problem. Right. Um, but yeah, uh, I try to keep between two and four in milk at any time. Oh, and you can cut back to once a day if you okay. want to. Initially, when they're making a lot of milk, you got to do it twice a day, but you can yeah. cut back to twice to once a day and then maintain that. So for right now, all through the winter, just like chickens, they cut back a little bit. But my goats in the wintertime, they just, they just reduce their production. And so I cut back to milking just once a day. I have Nubians. And, oh, you have uh, Nubians? Yeah. I love, we're thinking about bulls too. They're now, lovely. You... They're loud. If you don't like loud animals, don't get a Nubian. Oh. <laughs> but well, there's something about those big floppy ears. Yeah. Yes. There's something about them. Yeah. So I milk them once a day. I milk them in the mornings only. And that's it. In the mornings. is it? And do you go out like? When in the morning, early, um, early, I, I do other things and I'm usually out there by like, you know, nine, 10 o'clock. I'm a little bit, you know, I, yeah. I, I, you don't have to be out at 5am. Oh, okay. No longer that seven and seven situation that I had to maintain 12 hours apart. And so yes, flexibility. And so that's one thing I really like about that. And I wouldn't have thought of that myself, but I read about it online and some oh. other mentors told me that. So I decided I'm going to give it a whirl. And the other yeah. thing is, you know what? My Nubians were giving so much milk. They were, I was having a hard time keeping body condition on one of them. And I thought, I'm going to cut her back to just once a day. And then she was able to maintain her body weight. And it was still awesome. enough milk. So they don't give 50%. They maybe give like 75% of their full amount, but once a day instead of twice. At least for my animals were like that. Yeah. Plus our, our does are so overweight right now because they... Oh, it's its own problem. Oh my gosh, they got so chubby this summer because they were on that pasture and mm. they just loved it so much. And then this winter, of course, we don't feed grain or anything. We have um, hay, of course, and then once in a while, we'll give them a little handful of uh, alfalfa pellets or something mm -hmm. like that for a treat. But I don't know how they got so chubby. Sounds like you're doing something right. You got some healthy goats. If you're not even feeding them grain, some people feed grain year round. I'm like, oh, you don't need to. No, especially because it's so darn expensive. You get fat goats, then they don't. <laughs> then they don't get pregnant. They don't have healthy pregnancies. They have they have dystocias. They start you start having malposition and, and babies. I mean, it's like anyone like a human morbidly obese having a baby. You're going to have complications. Right. No different. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So. So yeah. that's that with them. But then we did have a sad that we had our saddest thing happen at our farm. Oh no. Um, we had that we had the goats out in the in the um, net solar fencing, solar electric fencing, mm -hmm. and our one of our little weathers got his leg and his face caught in there and got all wrapped up and he died. Oh my goodness. So now we were so devastated because yeah. once again, this is not like we had them for meat or anything. The boys were really pets, yeah. like a dog or something else. Yeah. And we had to cut him out of there. And I'm telling you what, my husband and I just cried our eyes out and he rolled that fencing up and he threw that in the shed. And he said, we are never, I mean, he just, 
said, we are never using that again. Mm-hmm. And so we ended up spending big money and we fenced in our whole entire nine acres. Good for you. I mean, I'm sorry for your loss, but that is going to serve you in the future because yes, like that, it, it, it will be a coyote deterrent. It yeah. will be a stray dog deterrent. It will be yeah. a human deterrent. That will that you won't know how much money that saved you. Right, <laughs> you shouldn't feel sad about it. Right, and so it we kind mm. of had partial field fence on one side and some mm. in the back, but and the and around the horse corral we had. Um, we have about an acre for him mm-hmm. and we had just ribbon solar fencing for him. Yeah. And, but the goats, they don't care about that. They go oh, right no. in yeah. and out or, you know, and so um, this year now we're going to have another pasture for the horse, put up a little more fencing and the goats will be able to go out with the horse in the pasture on the two acres that are back there. So we don't have to worry about them getting out and, are getting caught up in that thing anymore and so we say you know we saved it we had a we had four big hundred foot pieces of it so we had a huge area for them but you know we could still use that for the chickens or for like a temporary thing but for the goats no more yeah yeah once you get milking them though it's it's game on you got a whole new set of skills to acquire it's fun it is fun You'll have some spectacular it? it is fun. It really is. That was sort of my big thing a few years ago. And it's it's really been interesting. Like, what can I do with this milk? What can I turn it into? And you read and you just go, if you're a science head, oh, you're gonna enjoy it so much and just experiment with things and oh, you're gonna have so much fun. Yeah. I took a cheese making class at a goat farm uh-huh. last summer just to see what it was like. And yeah. you know, it's it, it wasn't horrible. It wasn't all that hard. I mean, you have to be clean. You have to be somewhat precise, but it was nothing like I thought it was going to be. And so um, I definitely have that out there to, to try. I do want to try it because I think we could sell. Well, I already had two people that told us that they would want some of the milk, even though we're really not supposed to do that. I don't know exactly how we would do that, but you can do herd uh, shares depending. Yeah, you could do shares. Laws. Yeah. Different states have different laws. So yeah. every single state has a different law and then they update it too. So check with your state. Yeah. And see and I did, I did kind of look into that and that's what they said. They kind of got around. They could buy like a, um, invest in the goat. So they're yeah. partial owners of that goat. And then you can kind of, kind of do it that way, but yeah, the herd uh, share. It is yeah, herd share. Yes. It's not really share. getting around it. I have to tell you, I mean, I don't, I don't like, and people are like, oh, you can get that around that with a herd share. Well, that is one way of looking at it, but truly it's like, it's like a CSA when people buy into your vegetables, yes. it's like yes. a CSA, but it's a different way of saying it. So they assume the risk, right? So if that weather had been a milking dough, you would have had less milk. And so typically it's purchase in and I can help you with, I can share some of my paperwork I have with offline. We can talk about that. That but, would be good. Yeah. Yeah. But I did run a herd share for a short amount of time and I ended up discontinuing it because different people wanted different amounts of milk on different days and some wanted it raw and some wanted it pasteurized. And it, and then it started to become this ungainly thing. So in general, you purchase in 
for a fee. And if they say, yo man, I'm out, you have to buy them out. So you have to give them their money back. So it's the purchase. And then there's a bottling fee. Oh, the bottling fee is your time and effort for producing that amount of milk. And sure. so I always set forth with my customers, Hey, the milk doesn't stop flowing. If you're on vacation, if you're not yeah, there, what's that? Milk, <laughs> send your neighbor, right? Yeah. Send your neighbor yeah. to come get your milk for you and give it away. Cause guess what? I'm still charging you for that week's delivery. Even if you don't show up, even if your neighbor takes it, I'm still bottling that up. I still have to go through the trouble. And right. feed bills. And it, it can be lucrative, but it's like you start this kind of factory and you know, you can't stop it. Now, there are a lot of people, and I didn't have this at the beginning. And if I were to try a herd share again, I would definitely do this because now I have more skills. But often herd shares will have the opportunity to substitute. So if a quart of milk, you can get um, a pound of cheese instead of a quart of milk, you can get a quart of yogurt. And sometimes oh. that really helps diversify things a little bit for you. Okay. Yeah. Herchers are their own thing to do though, but they can be really fun. They can be really fun. Well, once we get, you know, some other little things bottled down, mm-hmm. I mean, I would, we would really like to breed the goats because my granddaughter, she joined 4-H and she wants to be able to show her little goat, you know, or the baby of her goat. And even though her goat is all the goats are the, the two does that we bought, we have registration papers for them that we haven't sent in yet, but you know, all we have to do is sign and put our thing Mm -hmm. on there and send them in. Mm -hmm. And, um, then she would have a good, the babies would be then registered under our farm. So we'll see. We want to do that. 4-H is great for youth. I really can't say enough good things about 4-H. Whether you, your kids are into, your grandkids are into 4-H or FFA in your area. Mm-hmm. And anyone listening, if you're not sure you're living in suburbia, um, you know. Well, 4-H. we live in a town and, you know, she, she still goes to, the county over and we have a huge two two county fairs around here even though we live by a big city they're they're everywhere you don't have to be in the country to join forage there's different groups because it's yeah. more than just animals i mean you can do photography mm-hmm. cooking sewing mm-hmm. you know it's it's kind of like scouts um but for girls and it more for the family than yeah. it is just the kids it's the whole family it definitely is yeah, we did 4-H for, geez, a decade. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So in this whole learning experience, how have you found your is your best um, way to get trustworthy knowledge? Like, tr- like, like what, what are your trusted sources for things that you've decided you want to learn about? Well, what we do, because we, of course, we have no farm neighbors to go to for mentors. We, we don't have anybody that we know that farms. So we're kind of an island. So we have to really rely on, um, you know, going online and then just trying to go to maybe four or five different people and see what they are saying in common, Mm. you know, and try to pick out that way, because you know how everybody has a different way to to raise everything and to grow everything. But there are some core things always in those, in those different ways. 
And so that's how we learned about goats, even though we don't know, we don't know anything hardly about goats yet because there's just so much to learn. But we learned about, you know, their, their mineral needs, their food needs, their, their hoof care. My husband went on YouTube and learned how to trim their hooves. Mm. And now what we bought was, uh, um, you know how you can weigh your animals in those little slings and you can hook the sling up over like the barn thing and with a little weight like you do a baby almost yes well we bought one of those weight things and a sling and so what we do is we put the goats we stand the goats up on their little bunk bed and then we put that sling around their tummy and around their through their legs and then we hang that on a rafter above so that they can still touch but barely touch so they still feel like they have footing but they really can't get away. And then he just does one leg at a time. And that has worked so well. I love that. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's really nice. That is nice. Huh. So is it been websites? Has it been societies? Has it been um, well, I, groups, individual farmers? Like, how do you find these sources? I mean, like, obviously the goat people aren't going to be the experts in potatoes, right? Well, right, they might, they exactly. Might be, well, I've relied a lot on, like, I go on Facebook and I join these specific pages. Mm-hmm. So, like, they have pages for Nigerian goats, how to breed them how to feed them, how to house them. I'm not kidding. Emergencies. I mean, all these different pages that you can go on um, for a speci- very specific things. People that raise under 10 goats, over 10 goats, you know, whatever. And mm-hmm. then they post or you can post and ask a question and then there's your community. Then you can go through all those comments and pick out the similar things that just about everybody is saying and feel like that is pretty good advice. So I, when I'm on Facebook, I don't follow like people per se, but Mm -hmm. I'm on a um, women's uh, um, homesteading site or page. Uh I'm on a beginning homesteading page. Mm -hmm. I'm on one for chickens, goats, gardening, raised bed gardening so all my feed that comes through facebook are these pages about the things that i may have a question about or i want to learn more about if i have a question i put my question right in there with a picture mm-hmm. and then i'll get you know all these comments i do that on instagram also yeah. i have an instagram account and i actually started a, a blog how i taught myself how to do that girl that was harder than any farming i've ever done <laughs> I'm not kidding because I was so unfamiliar with every, every term and every, oh my gosh. But anyway, I did it. So I also have kind of a community on there Mm -hmm. and then I still go on YouTube and, you know, look for my, my people. Like I have a girl that I follow. It's called Roots and Refuge. Her name is Jess. And she had a little four acre plot and then they moved completely and got this big, huge farm that was nothing, no house, no barns, no nothing. It started from nothing. 
So I follow her. But the reason that I liked her so much when I first saw her was she had a theory that if you want to be a homesteader, if you want to garden, if you want animals, but say you live in an apartment, you just got married, you don't have, you have one car, you, you're just living paycheck to paycheck. She said, while you're dreaming, while you're planning, while you're waiting, start learning. So she says, make your waiting room a classroom. And I thought that was the best advice for all these people out there that they're dreaming of it. They want to do it. Don't just sit there. You can learn about land management, composting, gardening, livestock, fencing, barn restoration. Anything you want to learn is out there. We live in a times right now that the information, you don't have to go get the library and get, you know, an encyclopedia like we used to have to do when we were kids. You just get online like we're on right now. And so I love that girl. And uh, I, I learned a lot from her. That is a, I, I love hearing that mindset and how it's so contagious. It, it's so true. It is mm-hmm. so true. There's, there's so much you can learn that you take that knowledge and you apply it forward, you know, when you're ready to have I mean, yeah, when I was, when I was a little girl, I wanted a horse more than anything. And so I just read every single horse magazine that I could read. And of course, by the time I was able to get my horse and after I had graduated from high school, by the time I owned my own horse, I had read every single article I had, I had spent that, I had spent that, that that waiting room as a classroom. I, I really had, it's, it's so true. And in the meantime, there's nothing wrong with learning how to can vegetables in an apartment. Absolutely. No, you can, you can put it. a pot, uh, get a pot, put mm-hmm. it on your patio and grow some tomatoes in it just as easy Amen. as anything. Amen. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. There's something so empowering about that. So what do you find to be the most satisfaction? Like what of your, what, what pieces of this little homestead farmstead life that you do, do you find to have the most deeply satisfying to you? I think the most satisfying, the most fun I've had is sharing it, sharing it with my, you know, little town friends, with my Chicago brother that comes in and um, his kids that, you know, I mean, they're just absolutely amazed. When they went out and saw their chickens, they saw those eggs, they're like, are you going to eat? Are you going to eat those things? You know, eggs (laughs) come from the grocery store. You don't get them out of a Oh my gosh, they're so funny. <laughs> so funny. So removed, right? Oh. Yes, you're so removed. And I think since we've had this, because I, I've always been real active. I, I'm in a book club and a garden club and a sewing club and all these clubs. I have a lot of friends. And all the, all the people are living this through me. It's like they come over here. They love to see the animals. They want to know about the gardening. They've tried some things. They, like I said, I taught them all how to can. So that to me has been the most fun of, and the most satisfying is just sharing what we've learned with people because they're seriously shocked because they all have known me for many years. You know? mm. <laughs> they, don't, they know that we have never done anything like this before, you know? Mm-hmm. 
So um, with all the food prices going up and everything, I'm sure that you have found ways to really help this hobby passion air quotes here um, pay for itself. Cause when you raise it yourself, you save twice. Cause you're not, you're not taking, you know, by the time you buy a thousand dollars worth of groceries, you know, you had to, you had to earn 2000 or take 2000 out of your retirement or whatever before taxes and all the other layers of everything. And, yeah. you know, so you're saving a thousand, you're actually paying yourself 2000 or avoiding having to bring that out. So have you found that this is, I mean, obviously you've done other investments, you know, like all the fencing and stuff, but have you found that this has offset your grocery bills? Well, it, it could, I would say that, um, you know, you think about like your, the things you really eat. Now we don't grow things. We don't eat, you know, everything <laughs> that we grow, we eat, but we could grow more things and, and save a lot of money because like, if we, if we grew things that are maybe a little more challenging because of like pest pressure, um, uh, broccoli, cauliflower, things that you buy, you know, at the grocery store that are now like $3 a bag, it used to be 99 cents. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, you can, you can grow a lot of, you can buy a lot of seeds for which you could pay for one, one cauliflower. So even though we, we don't really just the two of us, but like, if you had a family and you, you know, grew green beans, corn, corn is so easy to grow. And it really doesn't take that much room because you can put it really close together, like in a square, not so much like a long line, but like a little cube. Mm -hmm. You could grow corn, you can grow beans and you can grow um, corn beans and say pumpkins or squash all in all in the same area because you could let the beans grow up the corn. You know how the, the Indians used to, you've heard of that. Three sisters, sisters, right? Isn't that what they called them? The three sisters? Three sisters, yeah. yeah. And so you can grow your, any kind of squash um, and beans and corn in the same small area. Now you think if you, that's what most kids eat, corn, green beans, peas maybe, carrots. Mm-hmm. Those things are super cheap to buy seeds or even little starts. Yeah. And you could, I think you could save a lot of money at groceries. You definitely save on eggs these days. My goodness. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> it's crazy. Even even at like our Aldi, you know, which is like a cheap little store. Yeah. I mean, a good store for saving money. They were, they were 69 to 99 cents for years, for five years in a row. And they're $4.99 for a one thing of regular eggs. I'm not talking about the organic like we have and the free range and all that. Those are $7. Sure. <laughs> That's just crazy. It is. Well, yeah, it is. I mean, when all the, the food production, if people don't grow their own food and they're not going to small local, you know, farm outs like yours and local farms, they go to the grocery store and the grocery store right. is from major big producers. And when a major big producer gets one animal that's sick, they have to, they have to call the entire, the entire right. 300. And we only charge $4. Do you guys sell eggs? I used to, I used to sell them for $5 a dozen. Um, this was several years ago, mm-hmm. but I sold them for $5 a dozen. 
and they're pasture-raised eggs. And I had a mixture of like Moran's, which are these dark, dark chocolate brands. Yeah, yeah I know what they are. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then brown eggs and then Americanas, Eggers, and then a couple little white ones, like Belders, so give me little mm-hmm. white eggs. Yeah. Um, so they're, they're a rainbow assortments. They're fun and they, you know, they're, they're interesting. This was before the days people were like buying green eggs to, for most part, mm-hmm. they would show up and say, why am I buying your eggs for $5 a dozen? I could go to Walmart and buy them for a dollar. And I said, yes, you could. This is a different product. And they're like, right. no, it isn't. I said, here, take this egg, take your Walmart egg. Crack it up. Look side at the by side. <laughs> Look at the texture difference. Taste the difference. Put them side by side. What does, you know, floppy yellow, right? Firm orange. Yes. Right? Orange. They really yeah. are. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's like Wait. you want your yolks to be orange like a goldfish, not yellow like a lemon. Right? <laughs> right. Yeah. We sell ours for $4, which we we had them for $3. Then we raised it three fifty. You know, you have to. Just, just last summer. Then we had to raise them to four. Mm-hmm. But so now that's a bargain compared to what they are at the store but yeah well I'm hoping that they'll all go back down again I was able to calculate that I was producing eggs at two dollars and two sixty five per dozen I was feeding non-gmo feed um yeah organic organically grown non-gmo feed which was milled at a local place um I had my recycled um containers. I had to have state compliant labels, all of my washing equipment and my refrigerator. I had to maintain for all of this and things like that. So I had this egg route and every other week I would go and I would bring anywhere between 30 and 80 dozen eggs to these pickups. Yeah. I had 200 laying hens at one point and, um, yeah, I had a waiting list at $5 because they just taste so different. It's like the first time you buy first time, the first time you eat a tomato from your backyard, it's like, I'm sorry, you've just ruined the grocery store tomatoes for yourself. Forever. It's the truth. A farm raised, a backyard chicken with animals that ran around in the sunshine and ate bugs. Um, that egg is as different as those sad tomatoes that you get, you know, yes. in February. It's like the potatoes, the potatoes and the tomatoes and the the potato thing you mentioned. I'm going to, yes. Yeah. Read about about that. that. Look up about that and read more about that because I I never thought about them having to store those. Yeah. But they have to. Well, I do know they store apples for a long time and cabbages Mm -hmm. sometimes get stored for a very long time, which is why they're so popular because they keep for so long, but yeah, spring apples, summer apples, they're actually from the previous year. They've been in storage. Right. Yeah, that's very true. Mm. So um, we've talked about uh, places to find, like you, you mentioned Facebook groups and other mm-hmm. websites. And do you have like reference books that you have found to be like physical books that you have found to be really invaluable in your learning process? Do you know, we recommend we have, we we don't we haven't really read the only I can say kind of book we have is that we got from our goat breeder and she made us or she sold us because there was a lot of information in there um a book about you know everything everything about the goats more of a a reference book about um if they have these symptoms and how to how to check their um you know, their eyes and their, 
for, you know what I'm talking about, all these different things that you check for and the different kinds of medicine that they can have and how you administer it, if it's mm -hmm. oral, if it's whatever. And mm -hmm. so that, that book we have, that we have like a reference book, but um, a regular book that I bought, not really. Okay. So you've, you've talked about all the benefits and all the, the happy victories and, and, and everything. Well, you did talk about that one tragedy and that's terrible, by the way. It's mm -hmm. like, that was terrible. It just, it just, it just hits you hard. And I, mm -hmm. and I get that. Um, what would your current self look back and tell your past self when you were first starting this? When we were, <clears throat> I thought about this, when we were first thinking about mm -hmm. moving, we should have. Oh, we should have. We should have done that, sooner. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, we should have. We should have started oh. this. Because when we first started thinking about it, <clears throat> my actually my mom, when my kids were little, my mom would say, you know, we I wish I lived out somewhere where the kids could run around and, you know, whatever. And of course she never, that never happened. And then I always thought about that. But then when I had grandkids, which now they're, my oldest are 12. So if, if we would have done this even 12 years ago, mm -hmm is that, I mean, we would have been in, in better health. We would have our, our farm completely established because, you know, it takes you, even if you're young, you can't just go start and just have everything right away. I mean, you, you would have to start with your food first, I think, and then your animals and then start, you know, doing your property in, it's, it's a, it's, it's a lot of work, but if you, if you do like how we did, even though we were older, I just started small, but I had almost like a plan. I still have one of things that I want to do as the, as the time goes on. And with us, we don't, we don't have that much time to where we can have a long-term where we want to build another barn or we want to build a, a high hoop house or something like that um, down the road. We don't have a lot of down the road, but if you were younger, you could have a one-year plan, a five-year plan and a 10-year plan, just like in trying to go up the corporate ladder or anything else, you could have that farm-wise mm -hmm. and you could make that happen. Yeah, that's very true. Mm -hmm. That's very true. Um, what was the most natural thing for you to learn? And what was the hardest thing for you to learn? The hardest thing I think is that the animal care only because there's so many scenarios and, um, they're not like having I mean, livestock, yes, they're animals, but it's not like having pets like you're used to having. Um, when, they, when they live outside, there's just so many things besides predators. There's, you know, diseases they can get. There's worms that they can get. Now, we did find a thing that our vet told us about because the panic that our goats were in before we started putting them out in the pasture was grass. And he told us that 
the worms live in the first three inches of grass. So if you have your animals on a grassy area, that's like the worst thing they can be because they poop and then they, you know, it's just like a cycle. So he told us about this stuff that, that we give our goats now that kind of breaks that cycle and it is not bad for them. So that's one of those things, but that's, it's expensive to buy, but we, we do give them that. But yeah, I think the animals are the hardest part, but we're continuing to learn. So um, it's been a slow learn. The gardening was the easiest thing to learn um, because, you know, I mean, you get some dirt, you put a seed in, you put some water in there. I mean, God knew what he was doing. Water, I mean, you can imagine if, if an alien came from outer space and he said, okay, how'd you get this plant to grow? Well, we took some dirt here that, and then we put us and then we dumped this clear stuff on there. I mean, they'd be like, what? So, but it, it does work. It, it's amazingly, to me, it was amazingly easy, especially with this, this uh, way that I did it with the, um, the no-till system. We didn't have to have a big tiller. We didn't have to do a lot of backbreaking work. Uh, it's worked out with the raised beds. It's worked out great. Even though I did put my corn, my pumpkins, my raspberries all right in the ground. Mm -hmm. I still have pretty good luck with those. The raspberries are kind of a mess, but we'll talk about that a different day. <laughs> raspberries will be raspberries. Just don't taste I know. They're ones. kind of a wild. Yeah. yeah. So um, do you feel like you have this deep motivation now for this? Like you said, you thought it would be nice or nostalgic. Like, I'm not even sure um, why you just, you said it struck you and you just decided that you wanted to do it. Um, do you have yeah. like, has a mission um, formed around it? Like a, like a motivation formed around it now for you? Well, now that we've gotten this far, mm -hmm. my whole hope is that we can really get things here, the big things kind of buttoned up, like um, like we have the fencing just about done. You know, fencing is in is every farm's biggest cost, I think. Um, but we got a lot of that done. The buildings, we have one more to refurbish. Got a lot of that done. But I'm hoping to get a very established garden, a very established. Uh, orchard and pumpkin patch and then someday when we can't do this anymore it'll be a perfect setup for a young family to come in with basically not much experience but they'll have everything here to start with and they won't have to do the back-breaking work and cost I mean, it'll probably cost a lot to buy it, but they can just kind of hit the ground running. <clears throat> so that's my my goal is to get it. Because I don't know if my kids, you know, I mean, that might happen. I don't know, but just have get everything done the right way and have it a working farm that we can sell. I love that you're thinking forward for 
it's, it's such a um, stewardship mindset. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I love that. Um, where do you, are, are you of the belief that the, the food chain is definitely in a period of transition? Well, I tell you what, the, the, I have a daughter that's a teacher mm-hmm. and the day we were in COVID, you know, that winter, the day she came home and told us that the schools were closed, mm-hmm. closing. Mm-hmm. I mean, I really felt like the, the world would never be the same again after that. Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. the schools closing were like, well, just like it, it's a, like, we'll never forget it, any of us. But I remember going to the grocery store then and seeing the shelves. Well, they're still, I mean, it really hasn't fully recovered yet, but just seeing like the cereal aisle, you know how there's like a thousand kinds of cereal and what was gone. It wasn't the, the junky kid cereal. It was all like the, healthy stuff all the cheapest biggest boxes of everything was gone the cornflakes the you know whatever it was just gone off the shelves and then you went into produce and you're like oh my god there's like a one bag of apples on the thing no carrots no nothing then you went and looked at the milk you know how they have the coolers and coolers of milk and and now with the eggs and so who would ever think in America that in two short years, the food would not be at the grocery stores? I mean, it really hit me. Mm-hmm. And I have still a different mindset about it. That's when I learned how to, that winter of COVID 2020 is the year I learned to can. I planned my garden. I, you know, I was going to buy, I put in 20 tomato plants that year. The, the year before I put in like three tomato plants. And I thought, you know, we can prepare as much as possible without being a prepper per se. I mean, there are people that do that, which is fine. I didn't have that quite that mindset, but I thought I need to be more prepared and I can do that where I, right where I live. I can make that happen. Mm-hmm. And I don't think things will ever be because they say this is not the first pandemic that once you have one, you know, so yeah, I feel, I feel that I can help our, our family, my grandkids and my, I would be able to, even if I had to have them all over here, I'd be able to grow here and have here what, what we would need. Yeah, that's definitely a, um, that's a common theme I hear from people. Um, you know, we, we bought our farm 10 years ago, but it was really the financial crash of 08 that kind of made us notice because I worked for a financial institution at the time and I got laid off and I didn't have a job for two years. And we ate out of our basement because I had been doing canning and gardening and stuff like that. And it was, it was, it was sort of, um, 
the schoolroom and the waiting room situation. Yes. I didn't realize it at the time, but as soon as I got another job and we recovered, um, we moved to a farm. I said, cause this is going to happen again. They did not fix the underlying fundamentals that I've noticed. Uh, still a lot of irresponsible, you know, deficit spending and, and erosion of my dollar. Like every year costs go up. I did the math. I said, I'm not going to be able to save enough money for retirement at this age, at this rate. Like the math doesn't work. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. you know, my husband and I, we looked at each other and we're like, farm time. <laughs> Farm time. Farm time. Cause you know what? I mean, I'm not, not doomsday preppery, but even if it's just going to be fixing and working on a piece of land that feeds you in the meantime, that's a hard asset that then your kids can have. That's what I, think and it will be too. paid off. Mm-hmm. And they're not making more land. So it will always, it should <laughs> theoretically always increase you know, with the value of the dollar, it should continue to appreciate. Right. So you're not going to be making more money with it. You can increase the productivity. You can increase the value without losing, you know, the equity that you've put into it. And you live in a beautiful place in the meantime. Right. And well, you know, I yeah. want to try to encourage people too. I read so many times on these beginning homestead pages, these young kids that are they want to do this. They want to get their kids mm-hmm. in a better situation. They want mm-hmm. to grow some food themselves. Yeah. And they can't find any land. They can't afford it. They can't even find it. And I want to encourage them by telling them that the land that we have, this just goes to show you how things can change in a minute, mm-hmm. um, is in a small town. All on this road were 10 acre plots in the 1960s. You know, everybody had 10 acres all along this road, all the way down. And as the years went on through the 60s and 70s, everybody sold their 10 acres, subdivided it, you know, made these little neighborhoods all the way around. Okay. Well, the guy that we bought our property from never sold his. So he lived here for 55 years. So then when he's 83 years old, his wife dies and he decides he doesn't want to keep up, you know, 10 acres by himself. Mm-hmm. He puts a sign out in his yard. Now, who would, who would think that in a town, there's still 10 acres that's a, a mile from Walmart, a mile from Farm and Fleet, that, that you could have a homestead on in the middle of town. So you never know what older person or family is going to sell their property tomorrow. So you just gotta, don't, don't get discouraged because we weren't even looking (laughs) and it happened. That is absolutely beautiful. And that's a, those are really nice words of encouragement. When we bought this piece of land, the reason we could afford it is because the barn didn't have a door. It didn't have a back. There was full of four dumpsters worth of random crap. The, the fields were overgrown. There was broken down barbed wire and field fencing crushed down in the grass. There were things so overgrown we didn't even know that they existed. The pastures were six, eight, ten feet tall with shrubs. And the house leaked. Water was coming in the basement. Everything needed repairs. There's not a single flower or bush. There was no fences. There's no outbuildings. 
except for this ramshackle barn. Mm-hmm. And the reason we were able to afford it is because it needed so much work. And the reason it was on the market and had been overlooked is because it was so much work. Yeah. And, you know, today, if we were to sell this property, we've only got half of what we wanted to be done on this property right. done, but it would nearly, it would be easily double, if not close to triple Yes, paid for it now because of the work we put into it. Right. And we and hard work. We started. Yeah, but it's work. And that's it is thing. work. It's work. But you got to look mean, at unlikely places though. Just like you said, you got to absolutely look at unlikely places and yeah. a little hard work never killed anybody. No, I mean, hard work is good for the soul and young people. Now there are a lot of young people out there that aren't afraid to work. Yeah. And those, those kind of kids, they could do it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I've also heard stories from other people who will lease land from another farmer while they yeah. are living in an apartment and they're getting stuff together, you know, or they're going to purchase a piece of land and maybe it doesn't have a house on it yet. The house isn't built, but they can buy the land and they can get the animals on there and get the infrastructure set up. Right. Or even bring in, like, I've heard stories of people like bringing in and living in an RV or a shed while they're like building Me a too. house. I mean, yeah. Get creative. Yeah. If you're Absolutely. serious about it, do not wait to your point. Don't wait. Right? Don't wait because you can, yes, you can live in a camper. You can get, have a little trailer moved on. You can, yeah. I mean, you, you could even fix up the barn a little bit and, yeah. you know, get a composting toilet and, I mean, if you wanted to, you could make it happen, but you can't look at the whole thing that needs to be done, like your farm. You know, if you guys were brave enough to, and imagine enough to see the future, you have to look beyond what it looks like right now and how it could be. Mm -hmm. Well, let me tell you, we didn't even know what we didn't know. And we easily spent an extra I would say between 18 to $23,000 that we didn't need to spend or put it in the wrong spot instead of the right spot or made a decision and had to go back and fix and then had to go back and fix and had to go fix it. And then if we'd just done this, we would have been three years further along, but you know, the world was different then we had the luxury of time. We didn't know what was going to happen, that the world was going to flip over on its ear and and right. Right. That the food supply chain was going to turn out to be brittle, that the, that the, the, the goods and supply chain was going to be strange and inflation was going to hit. I mean, you know, every well, generation so- has their, their challenges, but this one, this one's a doozy. This one's a, a longer term slog, I think. But now look at what, I mean, you could be totally self-sufficient out where you are. We're getting there. We're getting there. We couldn't quit yet. We're getting there. Grain is an issue because uh, feeding dairy goats, um, we do still need supplemental feed for them. Our sheep are grass fed. Um, Our chickens, poultry will only offset about 30% of their feed. Most breeds, Icelandics apparently are their own thing, but most breeds of chickens will only offset like 33 to 40% 40% of their feed. Yeah, um, makes sense. I think that's about, I want to say like 30%, 30% sticking in my mind for some reason. Turkeys, we have turkeys also, they will offset 
50 to 60% of their feed just through bugs, heritage turkeys I'm talking about. Yeah. Um, but only in the warm months. In the wintertime, they, they need these inputs. Um, the sheep are the most self-sufficient thing on our, on our farm, really. And you have the dairy goats are the most lucrative. The dairy goats. Yeah. Yeah. Cause we make soap and shampoo bars out of it and they yeah. use milk and we make cheese and yogurt and we use the yogurt to feed the dogs. Or, you know, if we were to have the feeder pig, we would use the extra milk to feed the feeder pig. And sometimes we take extra milk and I will feed the chickens with it. Mm -hmm. like mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, we, the only thing we can't have here because we're, we are zoned agricultural here, even okay. though it's all around us is residential. Mm -hmm. um, we could have any animal except for pigs, um, but we could have them, but we got to get permission from our neighbors to get those. And that's something I, I kind of wish we could have because they're so good for the soil. I mean, yes. they can just dig up anything and and I really like pigs, but I don't know. That's well, a lot of homes are spared by kin kids. Kin kin? Yes. Yeah, they're small. Mm -hmm. Um and they are less destructive on the land than like, you know, your big old feeder hogs. Right. Uh, we did have too many pot bellies for a while. They did a great job cleaning up our pastures. Yes. And I sold some sheep to a woman and she had a bunch of fields that needed to be cleaned up. And I said to her, Hey, you should get some pigs like these. And she's like, Oh, yeah. I would take them in a second. I'm like, here, take mine. They're done. They're, they're, they've worked themselves out of a job. And so I just sent the pigs along with the sheep and she, she's so thrilled with them. But I mean, yeah. I mean, people, yeah, are that might be down, you know, down the road. I just have to see. Yeah. Well, good for you. Good for you. Well, this has been super awesome. Um, if, if you have a social media presence or you want to tell people how to keep track of your shenanigans and your, and your, um, and your adventures and, and your next projects that you're going to be learning, you, you said you blog about them, right? Yes. Okay. So why don't you tell everyone how to follow your adventures? Yeah. The blog, I, I have a blog that I put up every other week on a Monday and, um, I'm going back, um, and kind of telling how we did things step-by-step step and how we made the decisions that we made and how we learned what we did. And then in between, I just put our everyday life that we, that we do. And so it's uh, sweetteayankeefarm.com and you can go on there and subscribe and get a little email and I'll tell you about it. But um, that's something that I started to do to kind of keep a record for my grandkids, you oh. know, why we did this and, and what we did and um, to encourage them that it's never too late. Uh, I mean, unless maybe you're a hundred years old, but I mean, if you, if you can still kind of walk around and you can still think things through um, even if you have some kind of uh health problems, um, like my husband has, um, even the, the winter that we, the winter that we moved here, I had a lot of health problems. I had to have two stents put in my heart. Um, but while I was down with recovering from that, 
then I learned how to take care of chickens. So, I mean, you can take any problem and turn it into a learning experience and something that will benefit you, maybe not right now, but down the road. I love that. What a great piece of life wisdom to end on. Sandy, it's been an absolute pleasure talking with you. Thank you. I appreciate it. And this was really fun. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. I really enjoyed it too. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Bye-bye.